good morning again. Let's pray before we begin, hey? Heavenly Father, as we've read your word, as we've come together with singing and praises, again we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we pray as we gloss and and look through this piece of scripture, we pray that you would speak through us, through me in particular. And Lord, that you would speak to each one of our hearts, that you would show us your goodness, your grace and your mercy through this piece of scripture and others. I pray that my words would be your words this this morning and, and that you would speak through me. Encourage us and challenge us in our faith. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been somewhere really dark? I'm not just talking about the darkness that you experience just before bedtime when you flick the light switch off and try and get into bed before, before the light's gone. I'm not talking about that dark. I'm talking about the darkness where you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Turn that on. When I was a kid, when I was 12, we were on an extended holiday around Australia. And um, we did a two-year trip around Australia. And on our way around, we visited an old silver mine near Broken Hill. And we did a tour, as you do when you're tourists. And I'm not sure how far underground we were, but when we were on this tour, the tour guide got us to turn all of our headlamps off, and it was dark. I'm telling you, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It was complete darkness. But looking at it from another perspective, it was also a complete absence of light. There was no light in order to gauge where your hand was or what was on the ground or what was behind you or in front of you. And it was quite disconcerting. No light whatsoever. As we continue to look at the the tabernacle, and our, our series of, of God in our midst. We're looking at the golden lampstand. And as has been read, this, this lampstand is a piece of furniture that gave light to the interior of the tabernacle. You might remember that the tabernacle, um, there's two areas in the tabernacle. There's the holy place and then the holy of holies, two rooms. In, and I hope you can see that. There's two rooms. And the, the lampstand lived on the southern side. It's in the centre there. On the southern side of the tabernacle. And, um, and it was positioned across the room from the table of showbread, which we looked at last night, uh, last week. I'll get there. I'll get there. Now... Its purpose, it's maybe stating the obvious, but its purpose was to give light to the tabernacle. Hashtag Captain Obvious. Remember that the the tabernacle is covered with, with four pieces of cloth, animal skins, and that sort of thing. So it would have been a reasonably dark sort of place. So the purpose of the, the lampstand was to give light to the place where the priests worship. 
And it was a daily job for the priest to be able to, to trim the wicks and fill the lamps with, with the oil that kept them burning brightly. And this lampstand was a work of art. I'm talking a, a real work of art, not, not just a piece of jewellery, not just a, an ornament or anything like that, but it was a real work of art. Ladies, think of your, your finest piece of jewellery that you have at, at home. No, it won't even compare to this lampstand. We're not given any measurements, so I can't tell you exactly how high, how wide. I seem to get the, the pieces of furniture that don't have any measurements. But what I can tell you is that it consisted of the central trunk and six branches coming out of these, this central trunk. And at the top of, of each, um, or, or right the way along this, this, these branches, were these calyxes and flowers. And if you don't know what a calyx is, it's that little piece just below the flower petals that I've got circled on the bottom left of the screen. It's like the bud. So the calyxes and the flowers were all the way along the stems. And at the top of, of each of these stems were, were lamps in order to be lit and to make light. And don't be thinking this. Okay, Don't be thinking candles because there was no such thing. Don't be thinking just a plain, you know, boring lampstand. There was no, no such thing as candles. But what I want you to have in mind for the, for the picture of this lampstand is that it was very ornate, very beautiful, and that it was made after the pattern that was shown to Moses on the mountain. Look at verse 40 there. God says to Moses, And see to it that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. He's talking about the lampstand, but also the tongs and the utensils and all the other bits as well. But what mountain? Moses was on Mount Sinai when he was given all the instructions for the tabernacle. And just remember that chronologically in Exodus, Moses has just encountered God on the top of Mount Sinai. And so God might be referring to the model that he has shown to Moses, but also remember that this is the same mountain, the very same mountain that, that only just a few chapters back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses encountered God in the burning bush. Can you see the significance there, the, the golden lampstand with its flowers and stems and branches and, and light? This burning bush signifying God's presence with Moses there? There's a great deal of symbolism here with this lampstand. There's a great deal of symbolism with, with light, with God's presence, with the burning bush. And firstly, light is, is one, of the, one of the symbols that we have there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, very early in the Bible, we see that light is the first thing created. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And light is also regularly associated with the glory of God's presence. So this lampstand holds a great deal of significance from a practical point of view, giving light to the tabernacle, but also from a theological point of view, signifying God's presence with them, signifying that God is holy and and that God is beautiful as well. Verse 39 says that the lampstand was made from a talent of gold. Now one talent, I had to Google this as well, but one talent equals 34.2 kilos. Oh, here we go. He's going off on numbers. One talent equals 34.2 kilos. 34.2 kilos equals 1,206 kilos. 0.369 ounces. Why is Dale doing this? Well, ounces is the measurement that we use to measure gold, don't we? You might see on on the news occasionally the price per ounce in US dollars. As of Friday, the price per ounce in US dollars was $1,229.90 US. Aussie dollars was $1,600 and $3.40 Australian dollars that's per ounce remember there's 1200 ounces in this lampstand so the total value in today's dollars Aussie dollars is $1,934,292.05 in Aussie dollars Now, I don't know whether you've ever built a house, but that is one expensive light fixture, isn't it? (laughs) What's the significance of this? Well, it will come to light. that That was unintended. That was totally unintended. All right. Good one. Thanks, Bree. Where did all of this gold come from? This one talent of gold, where did it come from? How did these Israelites, these not long ago slaves in Egypt, how did they get so much gold? Remembering that this is only just the gold for the lampstand, not the, the Ark of the Covenant and the, the table of the showbread and, 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 and. There's, there's heaps of pieces of furniture that were either overlaid with gold or they were made from bronze or something like that. So where did these slaves who had just been released from slavery, how did they get so much gold? Well, have a look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 30 to 36. Exodus chapter 12. Not long after the the ten plagues and the, the Passover, verse 30 to 36, it says, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and then at their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, 
so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. That's where the gold came from. That's where heaps of stuff for the tabernacle came from. And the simple answer is that God had given them the gold. Not only had God rescued them from slavery, but he had given them favour in the eyes of the Egyptians and, and they, they gave them everything that they asked for. So not only had God rescued the Israelites, he'd also poured out rich blessings on them in, in the form of gold, silver and fine clothing. And from this gold and silver and fine cloth, they'd made objects in order to be able to worship God. I find that a little bit, a touch ironic, that while in the possession of these Egyptians, these, these jewellery, the jewellery and the gold, may have been formed into little gods in order that they, they would have worshipped them. And so you can see God's goodness in his provision for the Israelites. You can see God's mercy in the fact that he sets them free from slavery. You can see the grace that they've, they've been given in the fact that God has given them abundance, not just set them free, but given them an abundance of goods. But also God's sovereignty is on display as well in the fact that, that the possibility that, that these items of jewellery may have been um, attributed to little gods. So God's grace is on display in the fact that God had heard the Israelites cry for mercy, that he rescued them from slavery and supplied their need to abundance. With each of these, um, each of these sermons that we're doing in this series through the tabernacle, looking at each piece of, of furniture, we, we look at, at how these reflect on on what it means in light of Jesus, in what it means in light of Jesus coming and what he has done for us. And I didn't have to dig real far in order to find Jesus, the light of the world. John eight twelve. again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Folks, it's through Jesus that we are able to experience God's light and life and presence with us in the same way that those in the tabernacle experienced it as well. Through Jesus, we can, we can be taken from spiritual darkness, not knowing God, not knowing his desire for us, not knowing his presence at all. And we can have forgiveness of sins through Jesus, the light of life. As with darkness and light, these are two complete contrasts. And it's the same with following Jesus. There's, there's either following Jesus or not following Jesus. You either walk in the light that Jesus offers or you walk in spiritual darkness. And if you have decided to follow Jesus, if you acknowledge him as the Son of God, 
and as the forgiveness, the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, you can walk in spiritual light. But if there's some question in your mind about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, I want to encourage you to to speak to someone after the service. Come and talk to me or anyone else. Because Jesus is the only light of the world. And it's only through him that we can have newness of life, spiritual life. It's through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that we can have forgiveness of sins and to be able to receive mercy and grace from God. And it's through this very sacrifice on the cross that we are able to approach God in a new and open way. In the same way we look at how this affects us personally, but how does this affect us as a church? How does the the golden lampstand reflect on us now as a church? Well, through Jesus being the light of life, we can now approach God as the priests did. Notice that that it's only the priests and Moses that went into the tabernacle. All the rest of the Israelites didn't have that privilege to be able to go into the tabernacle and to be in God's presence in such a way. And yet now through Jesus, being mindful of of his holiness, God's holiness and righteousness, through Jesus we are able to approach God in the same way as the priests did. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, You yourselves, Peter writes this to the church, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. That's us, folks to be able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then further on in in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. you see the notion loud and clear that Jesus has taken us from darkness, spiritual darkness, to spiritual life and light into God's marvellous light. Can you see that? Do you see the notion that God has made us through Jesus into a royal priesthood that is sons and daughters of God most high? And can you see the grace that God has poured out on us? Not only has he redeemed us from slavery to sin in spiritual darkness, but in the same way that he did on the Israelites, but he has given us spiritual riches. He has made us sons and daughters of of God Most High. I wonder if we ever stop and... And think about the value of that. 
In order for us to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation, it cost God his one and only son. In order for us to be taken from darkness to light, it cost the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his blood and his flesh. That's a far higher cost than the 1.9 million for the golden lampstand, isn't it? And so can you see that I'm trying to get that we have something that is of far higher value than $1.9 million. We have salvation, forgiveness of sins, being able to approach God in a new way. Do we ever examine the value of that for us personally, but also the value to others as well? If we've been given something such as this, why do we sometimes have the tendency to to hold it to ourselves. Now, if I was to enter, this is a hypothetical, of course, if I was to enter the lotto and I won $2 million last night and I made that public, even if I won $1.9 million last night, and I made that public, I'm sure that there would be people knocking on my door this afternoon asking for money. Yep. I would keep some to myself. I would share it also. Friends, we have something far more value than $1.9 million. And yet, because people are in spiritual darkness, because they don't have the light of life that comes through Jesus, they cannot see the value of a relationship with Jesus. And so it has to come from us in order for them to be able to see what a relationship with Jesus looks like. What a relationship, what the value of a relationship with Jesus is. Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. These are Jesus' words. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before, before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, again, we have been taken from spiritual darkness to spiritual life. And God has done all of this to make it happen. In other words, God has, has worked. God has redeemed us. God has set us free. And now we've been given this ministry in order to be able to shine that life and light to others. It's something of enormous value to us personally, but also enormous value to other people. Why is it that we sometimes are a little bit reserved in our sharing of our faith? Why is it that we can, can fear the rejection of men or, or fear what they might say? 
The Bible tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? If people say, no, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus, unfortunately that's their decision. What we are called to do is to be faithful to God in sharing that light and life. And what I think we need to stop doing is to stop comparing objective things with subjective things. Objective, God is for us. God has saved us. God has redeemed us. God has given this ministry to us. That is a fact. Subjective things like, I don't feel saved. I don't feel confident enough to share my faith. I fear the... The, the reprise of men. If God is for us, who can be against us? God has given this, this marvellous relationship to us and it would be, would be remiss of us to hold it in, to keep it to ourselves, wouldn't it? So let's not keep this to ourselves. Let's go from here this morning Humble and yet confident. Humble that God would use us. Humble that God would save us. And yet confident that he has saved us. Confident that he will continue to save us and confident that he will use us to give light and life to others. Are you with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the symbolism of the golden lampstand and how it reflects what has been done in Jesus. And the fact that you have taken us from spiritual darkness to spiritual light and life. Lord, that you have, have done everything in order for us to be able to come into your presence to have a relationship with you and to be able to approach you in a new and, and unforeseen way. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would go from this place humbled in the fact that you would save us because yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would go from here this morning confident in the fact that Christ has died for us and that he has taken us from spiritual darkness to spiritual life, taken us from being sinners to being holy and blameless before God. Heavenly Father, I I pray that that our, our confidence would build in our sharing of our faith but Lord, that we would also remain humble. Again, I thank you, Lord, for the the gift that we have of your grace and your mercy. We pray that this would be front and centre of our minds this week. In Jesus' name, amen.